I got a bad feeling about this. show is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys and get a free book just for signing up for one month trial. You know, actually, I, I do that ad live every week and that was probably my worst one ever. I totally botched it, but there's no do-overs here at the Book Guys show. We just continue. My name is Paul Alves. I am also known as Paul the Book Guy on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by a great panel, an awesome panel, the panel of book guys starting off. I, I usually go by my screen, my go-to meeting screen. I start off with top left, Professor Allen. How are you doing, sir? Hello, Paul. How are you? Welcome you, back. <laughs> you know, you can pre-record the ad and have it play as part. Well, I, I'm That's not almost like editing. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that sounds dangerously close to show prep. We actually, uh, in the earlier episodes, is Scott Brick, famous uh, voice narrator, audiobook narrator, who did the voice. Scott, if you're out there, if you're listening, we need it for the new uh, title of the show, because it used to be called Paul the Book Guy Show, because we had some legal issues getting book guys. We strained that all out. We had a weaponized uh, lawyer help us out. So we need a new recording. Uh, Sir Jimmy also joins us all the way from North Carolina. How you doing, buddy? Doing fantastic, though. The election results are in. The fix is in, my friend. That's it. <laughs> okay, um, you know what? Are you I'll pretend about I... the podcast awards or the less important presidential election? The less important presidential I mean, Maybe we'll election. talk about both, but uh, i got to say that I'm just going to ask, but I'm going to pretend I didn't watch. So, Jimmy, I'm guessing a Democrat or a Republican one. Uh, as it turns out, yes. Okay. <laughs> Amazingly. Also, also joining us, we never know where he is. He could be anywhere. The father himself, Padre, the digital Jesuit, Robert Balasur. Absolutely, <laughs> coming from my secret bunker in some nondescript place. Oh, and by the way, I, I don't agree with you. I don't think that's the worst ad read you've ever, ever done. <laughs> There's been worse? Oh, you've done worse. <laughs> okay. Oh, don't feel bad. <laughs> Let's see if I can do a good one for the go-to meeting later. Uh, and what, pa- Padre? Thanks for throwing that B-roll on uh, on your show this week in Enterprise Tech. That was funny. You got the cat in. You got Sir Jimmy drinking a beer. <laughs> yeah, I, I was uh, scanning through the footage, looking for about sixty seconds I could throw up during my ad read. And um, yeah, I just I found the coolest sixty seconds I could. I'm just glad I, I, I got to do that again at some point because <laughs> we've got we've got we can do better than that. Yeah, we can do better than that. But I'm just glad that you caught us all with our pants on. Uh, that's sort of a. <laughs> Necessity, visual podcasting, it's pants. The magic of editing. The magic of pants. The magic of pants. Show title right there, right off the bat. (laughs) All right, we're done. Bye. We're done. Thanks, everybody. Here we go. That's that's one week. We're done. Just kidding. Uh So, you know, maybe I'm going to start off just before I forget the whole book entirely. I've done this before on the show where sometimes I'll talk about the book before the show with you guys or I'll talk about it with a friend. 
And five weeks later, I'm sitting there going, damn it. I didn't talk about it on the show. I thought I did, but I didn't. <laughs> and uh, last week, I, I did kind of hint that I had finished a book. Uh, and I guess I should play a jingle because what we do. So I listened and I know folks know that I practice what I preach, much like the Padre. <laughs> um, and I usually uh, get all my audiobooks from Audible. But in my case, sometimes um, I go through my Audible credits. So, you know, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I look at uh, buying, uh, you know, audiobooks from other sources or getting from library or from, you know, uh, legal. I, I love the audiobooks app. I, it's just called audiobooks, which is really hard to nail down which one it is. But uh, there's one in the iOS store I've linked to before on the show. And that's some, you know, public domain stuff. Some of them very poorly read. Got to say, it's like a kid in his basement. Whoever cleared that to be on the on the catalog, but I listened to One Second After by William R. Forstchen, and uh, he, it was awesome. And I bought it on iTunes, and just because it was on sale for six dollars and some odd cents, uh, I didn't realize at the time that I should have been looking at the special offer pricing on Audible. Because if you remember, you, I would have paid seven dollars and some odd. I was looking at the regular price, twenty three dollars. <laughs> So really, I could have just paid, you know, whatever. It was six of one half a dozen the other. other but uh, I, I actually started listening to this one, uh, Sir Jimmy, because uh, it takes place in a small North Carolina town. Uh, I don't remember what the name of the city is, to be honest. I don't even know if they even mentioned what the name of the town was. But uh, I was interested in this one uh, because of the technology involved. I've always been interested in the EMP, which is an electromagnetic pulse. And it's been a, a theory, and it's been a military theory for a while that if instead of nuking a city directly, like uh, whatever the height is that they'd set off a nuke to actually destroy things and kill people, they blow it up really high in the atmosphere. And that way, you might not even see it, you won't feel it, but every piece of technology goes down, including, uh, here's the, the, the controversial aspect of this book, and it's kind of, a, it's a preachy book. There's obviously a guy involved in like military uh, science and military, the politics of uh, you know the military, because he's basically preaching like we have to harden our grids, uh, the electrical grid. <laughs> harden our grids could be a show title too, but we have to basically shield all this uh, electrical equipment. And even here, the studio across the street from us, uh, I remember when the, there was that blackout a couple years ago, they were going like crazy, twenty-four hour shifts, getting everyone's power back on here in Ontario and you know northeastern United States. Pretty much what's happening now, uh, you know, with the storm knocking it out, that's just rain and, you know, stuff. But uh, we're talking about devices like your cell phone. Padre, help me out here. You're the technology guy. There's uh, equipment in here. The components are so fragile as far as an electrical impulse that if this thing goes off, this bomb goes off high in the atmosphere, this phone pretty much becomes a brick for the rest of its life. It's done. It, oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, there's there's some great physics in this, and I used to be so big into this as a kid. When you detonate a nuclear bomb, uh, so when you, you start an uncontrolled fission or fusion reaction, what a lot of people don't realize is that shock wave that you see, the mushroom cloud you see, that actually doesn't happen unless you're inside of an atmosphere because all a, bo- a nuclear bomb is is a, t- it's a tremendous release of energy. 
that energy gets absorbed by the air, by water vapor, and then it expands into that big mushroom cloud and death and destruction. Right. So detonate it in a near vacuum, like in the upper regions of, of space or even beyond space. So you're not creating that huge shock wave. What's happening is it all just gets converted into EM. That EM, electromagnetic uh, pulse, if it hits circuitry, what it will cause, it will actually arc over the different paths. And, and basically, it, it's like you, uh, you rubbed your feet across the floor, right. build up a huge static charge, and then touched your gear. It just arcs it out and dead. Bye. Goodbye. Or so like almost as a screwdriver bad. over a 9-volt battery from terminal yeah. to terminal. There you go. Same thing. Same, same effect. So and what happens? This is, a, is the chemtrails. The chemtrails, <laughs> but but this what happens in this book, of course, is that uh, three nukes go off, and, and I'll picture the destruction that three nukes could cause. You know, three modern day nukes, and they're bigger than Fat Man and Little Boy nowadays could cause in the United States. But now picture that they're they were detonated high up in the atmosphere, so they basically knock out all power, <laughs> all digital, all electronic electric devices in the United States. And uh, I might have to give a little spoiler here, if you don't want to get spoiled, but here, spoiler cloister bell, cover your ears. In, you know, in the end, what happens is, within a year, 90% of the United States of America is dead from three nukes through starvation. Uh, mostly starvation is the thing. Lack because of iPhones. Lack of iPhones, <laughs> lack of entertainment. <laughs> I remember one scene in the book where they're, they're having a... A little uh, bit of entertainment in the local town square, and and they basically put on a play about a guy whose television automatically starts working again. <laughs> That's how desperate these people are for television. Like a few months in, but you, uh, I think I mentioned last week that I, I was kind of reading the first couple chapters and saying there is no way within five days people are going to be shooting at each other and you know robbing each other, and and then almost immediately after I, after I finished the book, Hurricane Sandy, the Frankenstorm hit, and. Four days afterwards, people are shooting each other. You know, women are on uh, Craigslist offering sex for gasoline. It was just like, and now imagine that extrapolated over the entire country. And the worst thing about this is that your ham radios don't work if you didn't have them protected. Anything, nothing. Your generator, oh, it's okay, I'll blow out my generator. No, it's fried too, permanently. Your car is but fried to be, permanently. Uh, to be fair, though, if it were just Apple fanboys... <laughs> who lost everything, and it wouldn't be that bad. Just an apple nuke. That would nuke. be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it turns out that Gates has somehow <laughs> figured out how to save. Hey, listen, if all, if all the your, Apple your, devices your, go down, your, try like using your, your bank card. Try using yeah, your bank card. <laughs> anytime you've heard a story of some journalist saying, uh, oh, there's this huge piece of tech, uh, military or the space shuttle or whatever. And they're saying, oh, and my iPod has more computing power, and yet the government is spending millions and millions of dollars. Right. There's a reason for that. <laughs> All that technology is shielded. Right. The technology they put into a satellite is shielded. It's incredibly expensive to yeah. do that, but it means it will survive an EMP. Well, one of the biggest uh, pieces of technology or devices that he basically says should be shielded, and it's, it's probably the biggest device – that we have other than the internet on earth is our electrical grid. And none of these components are shielded from EMP. So you're looking at like the boys across the street from us that do the electrical stuff. Like we're talking like the big, uh, you know, the big stuff. I don't even know what it's called. It's like huge generators. They go on like 18 wheeler tractor trailers. How are they going to make new ones if they have no electricity? <laughs> if their generators are fried, 
Steam. Steam. Yeah, you go steampunk. But you see, and that's another thing. Going back to, you know, archaic and, you know, legacy technology is hard. First of all, you don't know how to can the peaches. So they're all going to go bad, right? Well, how do you find out how to can peaches? You go to the internet. Go on the it- Oh. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> okay, then well, let's say you, you had a, you had a book in your basement, how to can peaches. Now, where do you get the cans and the lids? They probably come from a factory that requires electricity to run. So that's the whole thing. In this book, it gets worse and worse and worse. And uh, you know, he even dispels some of the myths, like, oh well, out in the farm country, it'll be great. Well, no, because you know, not just because you're in farm country doesn't mean they have enough food to feed you and the city. Like, yeah, it's not like they have oxes and things that are plowing the fields anymore. Right. It's all done exactly. with GPS and gasoline. GPS you tractors, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, it tends to, it seems that when, you know, the apocalypse comes, people don't go to work. So, you, you know, the, the 500, uh, you know, illegal Mexicans you have running your farm, they're not going to work either. They're, they're you know, try to survive as well. You know, money is useless. I think within five days in the book, money becomes useless because it's just a piece of paper. This is the the problem inherent in a multi-generational technological society. When you have a disconnect between the technology with which people are proficient in and the generation that actually created the technology. And you can, you can see yourself very quickly getting to a point where we're using some of the most advanced tools mankind has ever seen. And yet, even though we're very proficient in their use, none of us can service the equipment that makes the technology. Right. And, and that's where, the, uh, in this small town in North Carolina, they eventually have uh, people from the cities coming over because there's, there's no farms in the cities. You know, you can't find a you know, pig pen and have some bacon. So the city's a mass exodus happens within a week to, you know, going to, out to, you know, rural areas. And uh, they, they eventually set up checkpoints to get these people through their town because they can't feed themselves. So we don't want them around here either. But they were letting people stay that had skill sets. Like if you were a nurse or a doctor, you could stay. Your fam- you and your family could come into the town. If you're a seven-year-old who knew how to, you know, like make a wool sweater from like wool, you're okay. If you know how to can peaches, come on in. So all these like retro technologies, people are, you know. You're a game developer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Keep on going. Keep on going. And, and take your stock options with you. That's right. The worst part about this book, the worst thing that happened is the fact that there was no information. Because even in a modern-day disaster, people are on the Twitter. You know, even if your power's down, you know, people are charging their cell phones in the middle of New Jersey and getting information on the tweeters or satellite phones. But the worst part about this is no one knew what happened for, like, months. We're talking, like, three or four months later, they realized they got nuked. They still didn't know who, you know, who nuked them. Uh, a lot of fun, you know, a little bit predictable, the book, I got to say, for End of the World Disaster. I was expecting a twist. No twist. Straightforward. Uh, it's a boogeyman story telling you, hey, you know what? When these things get pushed through Congress, you should support it. Harden the electrical grid. You know, maybe the iPhone is not that important. We can always make new ones. But the the grid going down, that's your bread and butter. Literally, that's your lifeblood. That's what keeps you fed. And human beings can't survive too long without food. And we really are... Another moral I got out of this story, this story was that we are really pampered society. Like, most people don't know how to screw in a light bulb, let alone feed themselves. Even if they had, like, you know, 100 acres, you know, four horses and a tractor that still worked, they still wouldn't know what to do. 
you know. I, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I've been developing a, a, a new – it's not a podcast. It's a, it's I a thought podcast. you were going to say nuke. <laughs> uh, I'm developing a nuke. Uh, it's, uh, it will be ready by the weekend, and then I'll probably not see you anymore. No, but um, it's a podcast series. It was sort of the, um, the apocalyptic geek type thing. And we did 20 episodes all describing what goes into our go bag. So I've got like a panel of four guys. Nice. And we're describing which pieces of equipment, which pieces of gear – what chemicals, what concoctions we would bring with us if it was the only thing we could carry. Now, we did it for fun, but when I started shopping this around to see you know, who would be interested, I got four letters of intent to buy it from, from major networks. I'm like, oh, my God. Nice. This is actually something that people would want to see. I mean, that's why those sort of silly you know, zombie survival guide sorts of things, I mean, they're silly, but they're... You know, it's a silly way of getting into a real, you know, some real advice. Well, that, you know, and that, that's, I think, why uh, the CDC and even like this recent, I don't think the zombies really are coming. But, you know, the CDC and we got the guys in San Diego, their, their yearly exactly. terrorism drill, uh, the enemies were zombies this year and acted like zombies, you know, etc. I don't think the zombies are actually coming. What they're doing is they're finding that young people are interested in the zombie whole zombie thing and they're more likely to buy a zombie survival kit and keep it in their van or car or home. And it's kind of forcing people to, you know, have the survivalist mentality and have the, you know, the tools they need to survive for three or four days because most people don't. Most people have like three, four, five days worth of food in their house. You know, they go sh- grocery shopping once a week, which means that they're out of the food they really want to eat about seven days. And, you know, not many people have the, the big bags of rice and potatoes uh, sitting in the basement. I got the canned food stuff. I'm, I'm like, I'm like Alex Jones, survival seed ready, my friend. <laughs> I've got like five years worth of grain in my basement. Nice. <laughs> Speaking I, of zombies, here in Greensboro, we had a charity event that I found out about Sunday, but it was Saturday. It was a, a two-mile run through downtown. They had the streets all blocked off, and you could either sign up to be a runner or a zombie. Nice. <laughs> and yes. you had like a, it was like flag football. There were zombies all through the course, and you're, you had to run the whole two miles without them jerking this little like uh, piece of caution tape out of, out of your belt. And uh, if you got all the way through then, you got like a free beer or a free root beer, or uh, <laughs> then you got like a sandwich and something else and a T-shirt. But the pictures from this thing were incredible. There was some, they had oh, professional they, makeup artists that would make you up look like they a do a zombie, zombie walk here in Toronto as well, where you, they, they, they have professional artists. They'll you know do you up right around Halloween. It's fun. How much healthier of a continent would we be if all of us had to run to work from the zombies every day? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I moved our beer fridge here at, at work about uh, 25 feet. From the table where it used to be. And I think I've extended the lives of all the people that come through here in about five years. Just saying. <laughs> hey, before we go on, I'm, I'm just going to play a little clip here from the audiobook. Uh, it's by Blackstone Audio, narrated by Joe Barrett. And I haven't actually uh, listened to anything by Joe Barrett before. Uh, but he kind of reminds me of a younger George Goodall. Like he, he's, he's, uh, it's almost like the, the whole Dark Tower series I listened to. He's, he's got a really neat voice. I really enjoyed uh, listening to him. Here's a little clip from Audible. I'd like to think that Bill's novel may do the same. Few in our government and in the public sector have openly confronted the threat offered by the use of but one nuclear weapon in the hands of a determined enemy who calibrates it to trigger a massive EMP burst. 
Such an event would destroy our complex, delicate, high-tech society in an instant and throw all of our lives back to an existence equal to that of the Middle Ages. Millions would die in the first week alone, perhaps even you who are reading this, if you require certain medications, let alone the most basic needs of our lives, such as food and clean water. The place Bill writes about is real. He has set this story in his hometown and the college that he works at. I remember when he was writing the book and we'd talk. More than once, he was deeply disturbed by what he had researched, discovered, and was now trying to express as a story for all to read. What hit him the most, he told me, is that he kept picturing his teenage daughter in this nightmare reality. And I think as you read the book, you will see that point of identification. It struck me deeply as well, for I have two grandchildren. As he wishes to protect his daughter from this fate, so do I wish to protect my grandchildren to be able to pass on to them an America that is safe from such threats. The threat is real, and we as Americans must face that threat, prepare, and know what to do to prevent it. For if we do not, one second after, the America we know, cherish, and love will be gone forever. So that's just a small part of the four or five minute clip you can listen to. For I have become death, the destroyer of worlds. Yes, exactly. Chapter you, one, Doctor Oppenheimer, Black Mountain, North Carolina. <laughs> I love how the clip just keeps on playing, but that was a great. Uh, that, it just kept going, but there's an Oppenheimer uh, quote there. Padre, oh, that was your your window. I thought you had climbed up on the roof. <laughs> I see. I grew up. I actually grew up on a farm. This is all farmland around here. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, we we knew where our food came from, but. I, if if everything were to turn off right now, I don't know where I would get food from. Yeah, that's the yeah. whole thing. And, and they, they go into a little bit of detail here. Like I said, it's a very preachy book, very predictable, lots of fun. Uh, if you want to really know a little bit more about DMP and what the threat is, uh, again, this is almost like that, uh, oh, what was the, the book about global warming? It's very preachy about the topic. You can tell that the focus is on the moral of the story is we must protect the grids now. It's going to cost three billion. Doesn't matter, you know. If this is like uh, a blind side, this is goes right around the entire military force of the United States of America. Three container ships, you know, parked at uh, you know uh, the loading dock. Shoot off three nukes. Done. <laughs> wow. So he does about, boogie uh, boogie boogie. <laughs> Scares you. Talking about preparation, I was remember one of the early, early podcasters I was listening to. I think it was probably Mer Lafferty, podcaster and author, though it may not have been. But it was someone who was saying the reason that uh, reason that they always wear tennis shoes, always wear tennis shoes. It was a specific in this case. It was a, a female, a podcaster talking about that. But said the reason she always wears tennis shoes is that it is extremely unlikely that she'll be sucked through a wormhole into an alien dimension or become or become the doctor's companion. But in either case, there will be a lot of running involved, and you might as well be prepared. Well, the doctor always does carry a banana with him, just in case. Doesn't want those potassium levels to go down. I, I want to continue on the preachy theme, and I, I think Sir Jimmy can, can uh, chime in on this. Uh, listening to and reading Freedom, 
which was the second book from um, from Suarez's uh, uh, series, uh, the Demon series. Did you not feel as if ninety percent of the book was about preaching self uh, self sustaining communities? Oh. Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, sort of. It seemed like yeah, they were trying to create not not quite a utopia, but rebuild society completely. Um, and it's almost like you know the the computer programmer became God. Yeah, very much. Yeah. And, and you know this also you know all these uh, movements. Uh, I mean, Ger- Germany is doing a lot of green roofs now, where uh, they'll either put solar panels on uh, the industrial areas roofs, or they'll uh, get these huge you know facilities, factories, and um, put an onion farm on it, or carrots. And they just hire people to just you know run uh, uh, you know a bunch of crops in the middle of this. Padre, I love your video effects. <laughs> oh, it's scary. Uh, yeah, but you know it's it's a good idea. I think that the cities maybe have a little bit of supplies on hand. You know, we were talking about this uh, on another show. I think Sir Jimmy and I that uh, usually when a, a tragedy like this happens, you know, everyone hates the evil corporations. They're usually the first ones in with help. You know, Katrina, Walmart was in there. Yeah, and then, you know, Sir Jimmy, you know, Walmart was taking checks, you know, IOUs, but they were out there. They had water. They had blankets. They didn't have – they didn't want your cash. They just wanted to give you water and blankets. And uh, just <laughs> Hurricane Sandy <laughs> recently, uh, you know, the first ones in there distributing water wasn't the National Guard. It was Budweiser. Budweiser turned the taps on at one of their facilities and bottled clean water into their Budweiser cans and got those trucks rolling within hours and yeah, but that's a that's a foreign company. <laughs> I know it is too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like here in Canada. I mean, our, our in, in Ontario, anyways, our liquor store it's foreign owned. So and we're the beer to, store is full. We're looking to read a book about uh, Anheuser Busch pretty soon, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We are. We'll talk about that uh, another. I don't even know the name of the book, but I can't remember. But it's all about the bitter bitter beer, bitter beer wars, something. Yeah. We're going to be talking about that. Hey, let, we did forget to talk about what we are all reading. That is what's on your Kindles? What's on your point. nightstands? Well, what, what's on my Kindle? What's on my nightstand? Um, I don't know yet. Yeah, Paul, what's on your Kindle? <laughs> I don't have anything on my well, Kindle. We'll, we'll, we'll just we'll jump around. We'll jump around. Uh, Professor Allen, what are you reading? What are you reading? I just I just I just finished up two books yesterday. So what I'm reading now is well, we'll have to maybe decide tomorrow. I finished up uh, a couple of novels, the Anne McCaffrey novel I mentioned uh, um, last week, Renegades of Pern. And I'm not as passionate about that series as some people are, but every year or two I pick up one or two of the books and enjoy them. But, you know, it's not like I have to then go out and read the entire series, but I enjoy them. And You said uh, that. You said, you said you have to finish a series when you started. I know, it's, but this one's, on, <laughs> this one's a slow burn. This one's a slow burn. That's okay. You didn't say you wouldn't take twenty years to finish. That's it. that. Uh, true that. True yeah, that. And one of these days we'll talk about Ender's uh, Shadow. <laughs> Maybe today. <laughs> Padre, anything new on your uh, side there? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm uh, finishing up the uh, the Daniel Suarez series. I moved on to in in preparation for the release of Halo Four yesterday because I mean yesterday was real. that was the big news of the day. Not that election thing. It was new Halo in town. Um, and I, I actually had read a couple of the Halo books before, the ones written by uh, Nyland, 
fantastic. Actually, you know, really fun. Filled out the backstory of Master Chief and the Spartan programs. It was it was a guilty pleasure. I mean, not great fiction, not great writing, but just yeah. a lot of fun. So on a whim, I picked up um, on my uh, on my Kindle uh, a, a new series, Grasslands, written by Karen Travis. And I got to say, I don't want to to dump on Miss Travis. I'm sure she's a really nice person. I'm sure she's a she's a really good writer. I have not enjoyed it nearly as much. Um, I, I think because Nylon was more of a Tom Clancy-esque type writer. There was a lot mm-hmm. of tech. There was a lot of military jargon. You were you were reading this, and it, sometimes it felt like you were actually reading a transcript from a, an after-actions report. Right. Hers is more like, um, what would happen if, if Master Chief fell into a Twilight novel? I'm not, not really <laughs> big on that. Okay. <laughs> But but it's an important part of the story, so I'm pushing through it. I, I finished up Grasslands, and uh, I got to this moment at the end. I, I understand cliffhangers. I know why you do it. But I got to the last page, and I, I you know, hit the button to, to, to go to the next page, and it went into the, the, uh, the credits page, not even a prologue. Uh, and I'm thinking, wait, wait what? <laughs> Is it, that's it? That's, that's the end? Are you kidding me? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, that, so that did not leave a good taste in my mouth. I forgot the name of the title. I was I just actually on the weekend I read an H a classic H Beam Piper novel. Uh it's about a Martian linguist. And when that one ended, I'll, I'll remember that. I'll remember it. I'll I'll talk about it on the show, but when that one ended, I, I seriously sat there and said, "This is a good build up for a good story. It's just missing the good story part." <laughs> really? That's the end? <laughs> you ever been to that? You end the book and you're like, "Really?" It's like a great side story. Put it in another novel, H. Beam Piper. Come oh, on. I have to correct myself, by the way. I think I said Grasslands. It's called Glasslands. Glasslands. reference to what the, the aliens, the bad guys, the Covenant used to do whenever they would conquer a planet. They would basically bombard it with plasma and, and uh, Ooh, vitrify nice. the soil, turn it into glass. Um, and, uh, it, you know, actually, one, one good thing I will say about this is it's Halo without the Master Chief. It's Halo without the the character everyone associates right. Halo with, and um, you get to see dirty tricks. Uh, I think it was really inspired by you know what's going on right now with the U.S. military industrial complex. There's a lot of stuff that's happening that's not open war, right? Uh, and I think that's what inspired this segment of the Halo universe. And I have seen what you're what what you're talking about, Paul. Sometimes, especially in in, in fantasy, I find I found it. Where this is a really great world that this author has built up, and I just wish something would happen in it. Right. You want the payoff. <laughs> yeah. I want a story. And we're going to take a quick break, my friends, play a little promo for the Fantastic Cast. And when we return, Padre's got to tell us all. Wait, wait a minute. You want, you want to hear what I'm reading? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Not really. No. Well, no. We voted. and um... <laughs> Okay. Right, that's fine. Go, go. Dear little promo. When we come back from the break, we're going to hear what Sir Jimmy is reading. No, that's a that. <laughs> There's another cliffhanger for you folks. <laughs> the dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. 
We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You bastards can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four is more and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ravatots, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak. Blind or hold. Stop. You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey is ended. I shall stay in the the Fantastic Four from the very beginning witness the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Cast, ffcast.libsyn.com. I am Dalek Eric from DoctorWhoSociety.com. You are listening to The Book Guy Show. Ah, the suspense. Sir Jimmy, what have you been reading? (laughs) 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 A 1950s sci-fi novel about um, a mad scientist who's uh, studying anti-gravity. And let me tell you, I can't put it down. Really? Really? Nice. It's anti-gravity. So. Nice. I'm glad we waited that whole time. Down. Yeah, <laughs> thanks there, Sir Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. No, but honestly, I, I've got, a, I've got a, a really long uh, drive coming up this weekend. It's, it's probably about 14 hours that I have to drive, and I'm looking to fill that up with an audio book. So tonight I'm hoping for some suggestions from the panel. 14 hours. You know that Who's you can search in the car. You can search Audible. Again, again folks, audibletrial.com/bookguys. You can get it free for trying it out. But you can actually search Audible by duration. So if you know your trip is 13 hours, you can just literally go in there and say I want a book that's exactly 13 hours. Or you can get get one that's 12 hours cuz you're going to stop for McDonald's or whatever, you know, on the way. Um hmm I'll think about it, Sir Jimmy. I'll give you a pick for the end of the show. I'm going to write it down right here. Actually, Sir Jimmy, did you like did you like Demon and Freedom? Yes, I did. If you did, 13 hours exactly, Daniel Suarez's kill decision. Ooh. Now, will same, the ch- is it the same people reading it? Um, this is read by Jeff Gardner, so yeah, same person. Yeah, and it's it's not it's not the Demon series, so it's a different it's an entirely different universe, different setup, different book. But uh, imagine the United States drone uh, army gets taken over. Someone, some, an outside force gets control of our most deadly weapons. And uh, let me give you the opening scene. 
during the Hajj, so during the pilgrimage to Mecca, someone takes control of our drones and blows up the pilgrims. Oh, that's to try to incite a war. That's that's the, right. the stage that gets set. Wow. All right, I've got to ask: Is this book stand alone, or is the end of it drag you into the next book? No, it's standalone. Okay, way to go, right. Swartz. No. <laughs> Thank you for that. There you go. <laughs> And Padre, I wanted to ask you because you were you were mentioning you had a new device there, and I saw that big, big, glowing Kindle screen. Padre's screen is bigger than mine. That's right. That's right. So uh, I, I was at the Twitch studio yesterday uh, doing an episode of TNT, and uh, Shannon Morse, also known as Snubs, uh, she also does work with Revision 3 Discovery. Mm-hmm. She's, a, she's a huge geek. She's now in charge of their Before You Buy podcast. And she sent out uh, an email to everyone saying, hey, I've got a bunch of new products in the studio. Anyone want to play? And one of them was this. This is the Galaxy Note 2, the LTE edition. Now, this is a huge screen. This is the Nexus, the Galaxy Nexus. Uh, I, I wish I still had my iPhone 4 here, but... Um, it, the iPhone 4 looks like the little teeny tiny baby compared to this thing. Yeah, exactly. You you could put the entire iPhone 4 on just the screen of this Note and still have you know a good thumb all the way around the screen to uh, to be able to see. It's it's big. It's gorgeous. I, I'm I'm loving it. A lot of people made fun of this thing because they said, "Oh, it's too big." This came out at CES last year. Uh, the, the the first version, the Note One. And, uh, you know, they called it a phablet because it's a phone tablet right. or a, a fat tablet, whatever you want to call it. But it's just really, really mel- well made. Maybe I have giant mutant hands, but it feels good. Um, I, and I actually, uh, one of the big complaints was you can't do this. You can't, oh, sorry for the audio listeners here. You can't use just one thumb to touch the entire screen. But who does that anymore? Most people hold their phone with one hand and they touch with the other. Unless you're eating uh, a sandwich. Unless you're just saying. Eating a sandwich. That's true. <laughs> uh, but, um, I mean, it is, it's, a, it's an absolutely brilliant screen. It's bright and it's saturated. It's uh, uh, just popping with color. It's fast. It's crazy fast with LTE. Uh, it's, it's just one of the best made phones I've ever played with. And, uh, you know, my, my previous standard bearer was the Samsung Galaxy S3. I think this, this actually beats it. Uh, now, one of the things I'll be playing with is this. These are. Tech tiles. They're little stickers that have um, NFC, which is a version of RFID. It's a ah, yes. very near-field communications. It's, you could put these things on walls, on devices, and you can program them to trigger a function on an NFC-enabled device. Phone. Right. Uh, so, for example, what I've done with this is there is a tech tile at the entrance to uh, this house the, that I have set up with all the wireless settings. So someone coming into our house, if they have an NFC-enabled tablet or phone, all they have to do is put their device up to that sticker, and their device will automatically connect to our Wi-Fi. They don't have to enter any SSID, any uh, password. It's, it's just it's kind of cool. It's, it's very geeky. I, I love geeky tech. How do you program the little tiles? The software is on, on the, uh, the, the devices. So, for example, my tablet is, is NFC-enabled. My phones are NFC-enabled. There's a little application that I can run, and all it does is I, I tell it what to, what to do. Do I want to make the phone go to a web page? Do I want to make the phone kick off an application? Do I want to make the phone take a picture? What what I can trigger any function, uh, and then it says hold me up to the NFC sticker, 
you do that, it sends the programming, and the sticker maintains it. Very cool. It's very cool tech. Wow. One day you'll be able to flush your toilet with that, and you won't have to touch the dirty handle. That, actually, I'm working on that. Working now on we're that. talking. Now, now you guys are talking. <laughs> uh, NFC, in that case, does not stand for near-field communications. It stands for near-fecal contamination. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's you a know, different subset. And, and I would bet you that every smartphone in the world is fecal contaminated. Because <laughs> no matter how well you wash your hands, and people are you know watching Netflix while they're in the bathroom, listening to radio stations, browsing their email <laughs> while sitting on the can. You don't want to run a black light <laughs> over it. You don't anyone. want to know. You really don't want to. Would you want glasses that let you see fecal contamination because i'm telling you it's going to be a horror show especially go near your computer and your keyboard oh god yeah see a guy come in for a handshake and you'll be like oh fist bump hey what's up yeah just uh hmm. just bro love near fecal contamination (laughs) putting on my uh show title candidate list here (laughs) (laughs) and you know gentlemen we had some uh editing type-related issues, and our uh, discussion about Ender's Shadow never made it. So why don't we do that now? You guys ready to go with that? We're good to go? Yeah, we better get it done before I forget all about it reading this new book. (laughs) That's right. Science Fiction. Ender's Shadow. I didn't know that it came out in 1999. It's only 12 years old. Very nice. So, so uh, Ender's Shadow takes place same time as Ender's Game, which we've talked about um, many, many times. Vadim Waranowski, my friend, has emailed me and said, well, actually, I was talking on the phone, he said, if you talk about Ender's Shadow one more time, I swear I'm going to stick my hand through my iPod and choke you. This is not Ender's uh, Game, Vadim. This is Ender's Shadow. <laughs> so totally takes- different, except it's the same events. That's right. The main character is Bean, and uh, we get to learn how Bean came about. You know, Bean hiding in the, behind the toilet bowl, his beginnings, and uh, follow him along right through the same timeline and, like you said, same events of uh, Ender's game. What did you guys think, Professor Allen? Uh, I enjoyed it. I thought, you know, I, 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 I was a, a little leery sort of hearing the concept at first of sort of the same, the same. Uh, you know, the same events from a different perspective. It sort of sounded a little more like sort of a literary experiment. Um, but it uh, it was uh, very solid, very strong. I thought, you know, looking at a different group of characters and seeing their interactions and reactions to uh, to the same events or even having different perceptions and certainly bringing in Bean's, all of Bean's backstory made for a, made for a, a very different read from Ender's Game. It must be a great, uh, you know, for an author like, you know, or Scott Card to be able to go back and fix any little issues he, he found in his own book, you know, like decades later and just say, well, uh, people keep asking me, why would this happen like that? So he could just write it into Ender's Shadow and then you realize, oh, that's why the, you know, general made that decision. Uh, interesting to see. It's kind of almost like a behind the scenes of Ender's game. Yeah. You know, you got the, the George Lucas approach where he just puts the same book back out again and then changes a bunch of stuff. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, at least, you know, you got the same characters. You got the same world. You know, you're still immersed in it. It's not like episode one, two, and three of Star Wars. <coughs> Never happened. <coughs> um, <laughs> which reminds me, later, after we talk about this shadow. Been- Sorry, Sir Jimmy. We're having that uh, Skype thing. It's my internet today. It's very bad. Bell Canada, boo. 
Um, yeah, later in the show, we're going to play. I'm going to play a little clip I found of uh, Carrie Fisher at the AFI Awards Bank. Oh, no, it was like a roast of uh, George Lucas. And she goes on a four-minute tirade. And as we all know, Carrie Fisher, you know, an author, funny lady, and just one of the best roasts I've ever heard. Four minutes. But uh, just reminded me of that. I think this book would have been interesting, you know, if you could just erase both the books from your memory. This book first, it would have pretty much, you know, set up the universe in a different way, um, but similar. And then you come back and get a lot more detail. There's, you know, there's a lot more about the training and and, uh, and when the the children are up in space at the, you know, the the training school, uh, I think it would have been interesting going back that way but you know you know not being able to go back i think it was it was neat they, they spent a lot more time uh with what went on on earth it seemed um maybe just feels that way but his this character seemed to of being seemed to be developed really well yeah. um you seem like you knew everything about him his conception Up until the time he went to battle school, and interesting character, he was uh, just just this little, you know, almost naked kid sitting on top of a garbage can in an alley, starving to death. But you know, he's he's living off little scraps of food and getting him through a whole week. They've got all these roving gangs of bullies that are that are going about the city, just kids that are like like feral cats that are running around. Yeah, free range kids. They have you know. <laughs> They're free cyclers. They're going through dumpsters, and and uh, you got this little this little half naked kid who's supremely intelligent and has managed to stay alive, like you said, escaping from this scientific experiment where a bunch of children were created uh, in a lab, and all of them uh, had to be destroyed at one point because uh, the program was shut down. But this kid was smart enough to actually escape, hide in the back of a toilet, and and uh, he's just you know he's a baby. He's just you know I, I imagine him. You know, a year, year and a half old, he gets discovered by this. The janitor essentially takes him away and and raises him up, and and uh, he ends up leaving that home and goes back to the street. And he pretty much infiltrates this gang, takes it over from the outside, and sort of s- circumvents the leader's control and is telling uh, the leader who's a girl what to do. And some other bully comes in that's like bigger and stronger and gets the whole team gathered up and beats the guy down and hard life on the streets there for the for the youngins a religious woman who's you know caring for him and really her, her whole job is to find people to send off to this battle school to find you know, and that's where he ends up and that's where he uh runs into ender who is the prodigal son of the school and uh, they interact and, and start to work together yeah i enjoyed it i liked uh you know, I like the fact that, uh, you know, it's it, it's revealed, you know, the reason Bean can do this is the midichlorian. Oh, spoilers. <laughs> oh, no, that's not, that's not. Actually, I mean, I like you're talking about the character of Sister Carlotta and her role in in terms of finding these, finding these kids. You know, I liked, uh, you know, I like that character. I, you know, I read a, you read a fair amount of especially modern sort of near future science fiction and you know there's no and and I think it's a pretty deliberate choice in, in the case of of some of the authors there's no 
church, no religion. It's the Gene Roddenberry, you know, Star Trek yeah, um, vision, of, vision of the future and just looking sort of historically back at human civilization. That seems really, really unlikely that right. in 50 years, 100 years, there wouldn't be that, that, that organization or that or, or, or people with those, uh, you know, with those convictions and, and beliefs. So I was glad to see to see that character and, and you know she is doing this work of seeking out kids but she's doing it also in the in the context of helping and serving and and doing other uh you know parts of of you know in a in a post-apocalyptic society you know seen this with uh with the disasters here we were we were talking about the first thing we do is donate to the red cross and have a telethon because charity uh and Good works like that are 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 necessary in in tough times. It was good. It was sort of nice to see nice to see that angle. Yeah, she was a great character. Uh, being being one of my favorite characters in the whole series, and for me, I read the book so long ago that uh, the whole series is kind of a blur to me. The whole Enderverse. I love the Enderwigan series. Uh, I mean, uh, did you guys uh, listen or read the Shadow? Listened. I listened. It was the same, um, you know, uh, structure as the as the Ender's Game. Yeah, version. it's a multi-part it again with our friend Scott Brick and Scott Gabriel Brick De Cure taking, there taking the lead in this one. And uh, you know, we said it before on the show, but uh, you know, think about it. Scott Brick and Orson Scott Card are friends, and you know, I'm doing audio of my book. Can I be Bean? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that really says something about the Bean character. You know, the Is fact- there any particular scene that, that comes to mind to you, Professor Allen? I got one that uh, that sticks in my mind more than any other. Part of you know what what uh, what you were saying the the hiding and and the escape from the uh, from the you know scientific lab and and how exactly and you're thinking this can't be a one year old, which is what everyone says. You and right. you learn there, you know, sort of after the fact, you fill in that you know there are some special. Uh, that he's a special case, and you, you know, you sense that 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 has to be, but that the details of that are not revealed until later. So that is really a head scratcher, a really intriguing scene. And you sort of want to figure out, you know, how like, can that happen? How can he do it? And, and yeah, clean, back, back to what I was saying, gentlemen, about uh, Orson Scott Card sort of retconning some of the issues people had with Ender's Game. Uh, one of them being, of course, the advanced dialogue that all these young children were having. You know, sometimes you can just chalk it up to, you know, society has moved forward and onward. You know, like in Star Trek, you know, the five-year-old kids are doing advanced calculus. But anytime I, every time I read Ender's game, I was sitting there thinking, there's no way children this age are having this conversation. So Ender's shadow just blows that out of the water and says, well, this is why these children are having conversations like that in Ender's game. And it's sort of Orson Scott Card saying, "Aha! You thought I didn't have a, a excuse or a reason for that." This book's actually going to be uh, combined with the first book, and that's how they're going to combine them for the movie that uh, is in production now or pre-production. I'm not sure, but taking it back to Star Wars again, uh, I think we, we've already discussed that Harrison Ford is signed on to be in the movie. The scene that that comes to my mind is where Bean is at the battle station and he's got uh, a foe. We, I, I won't destroy exactly who this is but uh he has to he has to get rid of this guy some way and he's he's not as smart as him but he's bigger and stronger and there's no way that in a fight he could take this guy down and 
technically at the school, I mean, you, you're not supposed to walk around killing people. And right. he lures the guy into a trap. You know, he's got him in the air vent, you know, of the school. And he's got him, uh, with, with the help of some other people, uh, has him trapped. And he's sitting there and he goes like, well, you know, I'm not going to kill you. The air vent will do that. You know, right. it's, you know, just imagine being in here for two or three days, the air blowing across you, the warm air, and then you'll just dry up, shrivel and die. And, and that would just, I don't know, that just sticks in my head. As, There's quite a dark it, side to all these kids. It's very dark. It's, it's sort of the space equivalent of burying uh, a cowboy in his up to his neck in the sand in the desert, you know. Or Han shooting first. I got a bad feeling about this. Just saying. But I like, again, Card explains, like, in the first book, you know, he explained why it had to be children. You know, there was a legitimate sort of, you know, he, he, he scienced that up a little bit, so why it had to be children. And in this case, why it has to be some sort of cold-hearted, you know, uh, you know why that is a, actually a skill that uh, in this setting for this particular mission uh, is going to come in handy. And we're going to play a little it. clip here straight from Audible's website of the multi-part audio uh, with Scott Brick, Garble de Cure, and a full cast. There's a whole bunch of them in this one. For the writer, the parallax was created by a dozen years in which my older children grew up and younger ones were born, and the world changed around me, and I, I learned a few things about human nature and about art that I had not known before. And now you're listening to this book. That's Orson Scott Card, by the way. Recognize his voice. Whether the literary experiment succeeds for you is entirely up to you to judge. For me, it was worth dipping again into the same well. For the water was greatly changed this time. And if it has not been turned exactly into wine, at least it has a different flavor because of the different vessel that it was carried in. And I hope that you will enjoy it as much, or even more. Greensboro, North Carolina, January 1999. Part 1 Urchin. Chapter 1. Poke. You think you found somebody, so suddenly my program gets the axe. It's not about this kid that Graf found. It's about the low quality of what you've been finding. We knew it was long odds. But the kids I'm working with are actually fighting a war just to stay alive. Your kids are so malnourished that they suffer serious mental degradation before you even begin testing them. Most of them haven't formed any normal human bonds. They're so messed up they can't get through a day without finding something they can steal, break, or disrupt. They also represent possibility, as all children do. That's just the kind of sentimentality that discredits your whole project in the eyes of the IF. Pope kept her eyes open all the time. The younger children were supposed to be on watch, too, and sometimes they could be quite observant, but they just didn't notice all the things they needed to notice, and that meant that Pope could only depend on herself to see danger. There was plenty of danger to watch for. The cops, for instance. So uh, I didn't realize... I uh, See, I, I read this one, so I didn't realize uh, that they went with the full-on back-and-forth uh, multi-audio. Kind of neat. 
Yeah, that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about it. It, it was very fresh, and you didn't have a guy that was like trying to talk like a little kid, you know, and then maybe he goes like this back and forth. Yeah. You, it's very obvious when it's the same person speaking, so it gave it a real depth. Yeah, and, yeah it's kind of disconcerting. Some of the audiobook narrators, when they go into the falsetto, it's pretty, <laughs> and vice versa, you know. You're not, yeah. Sometimes you're not sure. Is that the man talking again, or is that the woman character? I don't know. I did like the fact we we did get a little bit bit of Orson Scott Card there talking about it, and then in uh, the versions that I listened to of both Game and Shadow, he he talks a little bit after the fact, does a little uh, does a little uh, interview or discussion oh, about the book. So that's I recognize his voice from this. Hey, Paul, this is Orson Scott Card. I thought I was the book guy. Now I find out you're the book guy. What am I? Oh, I guess I'm just the author of Ender's Game. Okay. <laughs> Uh, tri- a little trivia. I think that was the. Was it? I think it might have been episode two. <laughs> yeah. Anybody that's a, a big fan of Orson Scott Card, if you're out there, if, if you just Google um, a local little newspaper here in Greensboro called the Rhinoceros Times, he uh, writes uh, a weekly or biweekly article uh, in there. You know, just sort of editorializing about any number of things and. It's pretty interesting. You know what, Sir Jim? Why don't you send me the link? I know you sent it to me before, and I had it in my favorites, but uh, I'll put I'll put them in our blog uh, links on the site because he yeah, has some interesting I'm... reviews on there. But Ender's Shadow. So, what's the consensus? What would be next on the list, gentlemen? After Ender's Shadow, in the Enderverse series, I mean. If you want to go go back to Ender and do Speaker for the Dead, or do you want to stick with Bean? Hmm. I'm I'm game either way. You know what? I would almost say now that you mentioned it, I would say go speaker uh, for the dead, just because it redeems Ender, and you think of him as a lot less of an you know a hole and, and you know mass murder after you uh, you know spend some time with him in the speaker for the dead. Great, lots of Portuguese in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaker of the oh. dead was written uh, one year after Ender's game, so the whole the whole concept the story was probably pretty fresh in his mind and you know that's yeah that was the original the original sequel yeah yeah so maybe we'll do that i would love to reread uh speaker for the dead uh, let's do that then we'll continue on in our progression through the enderverse series and, and father robert i don't remember have you gone through any of the enderverse series yet i have gone through the entire enderverse you have consumed the entire thing how did you gobble it I up i have consumed it was it- uh, you know, it was. Uh, I'm I'm kind of like Professor Allen there. Once I start a series, I get really ADD about it. Oh, not ADD. Uh, yeah, ADDHD or one of those. OCD. OCD. Thank you. That was the three letters that I was looking for. And it was. Oh, that's right. I was teaching at Loyola High School in Los Angeles, and I had picked up because I I'd read Ender's Game before, and then I picked up Speaker for the Dead. And I just had to blaze through the entire thing. Yeah, me too. Uh, I'm the same way, Padre, with uh, book series and with uh, television series, especially uh, when I discover them later in life. <laughs> Once, you know, five seasons have come out. Like, I was sick on the weekend, and I went through Breaking Bad, all of it, holding holding my iPhone up like this in bed. <laughs> it's it's a sickness, but it's, you know, it's it's... Cool. Uh, that's why, like for example, I don't watch Doctor Who. I wait for the entire series to get on Netflix, 
And then I can find that one weekend where, you know, it's rainy or I'm sick. And I, I just, I really enjoy it. it. I enjoy it so much more. It's so much more of a visceral experience for me. Yeah, because you, you get to, it's almost like you can do three hours of it and it's almost like you watched a movie rather than just, a, you know, 22 minutes of entertainment broken up by commercials. That's what I hate. That's why I won't watch broadcast television. Well, I like, I like Paul's idea. I mean, if you're sick, there's really nothing that's going to cheer you up. No. And really brighten your day like a little Breaking Bad. That's yeah. perfect. Watching, watching perfect. the dad from Malcolm in the Middle cooking up some uh, methamphetamine got me feeling better <laughs> right away. So, now, I, I will also say I'm, I'm lucky enough to be missing that part of the brain that gets annoyed by spoilers. I don't care if I know how her story ends. Exactly. I really don't. Exactly. I just yeah. I want to see how it how how it plays out. So when someone tells me how, like, oh, I, I'll tell you how Halo Four ended. I'm like, fine, go ahead and tell me. I'm still going to play yeah. the game. I'm still going to read the books. I'm still going to find out. I read an article on this, and most people actually would like to know some of the story before they get into yeah. it, which is why they always tease. They do teasers in, uh, you know, on, on television. They'll say, coming up next. You know, later today, uh, you know, Malcolm in the middle, uh, you know, so-and-so does this. Stay tuned. You know, that's why Leo does coming up today on This Week in Tech, episode 142. You know, because you then look forward to it. I already know how Amy and Rory are going to leave Doctor Who, (laughs) but I am so excited to see that when it gets to Netflix. Right. (laughs) I remember we, I think we talked about this in, in, in terms of books, and I said, you know, I can't remember, maybe Sir Jimmy, I can't remember who it was, who said, you know, they don't read the intro, don't read the flap, don't read the, I mean, I read all that stuff. Before I start the book, I read the, begin, the you know, the, the inside front jacket, I read the about the author page, I read any intro, I'll even read the notes, I'll read the dedication, I'll read all that stuff, and then start the book. Yeah. yeah, that's not bad. And, and if, if there's glossary. spoilers in there, that's okay. Here, I'm going to get the something glossary. for you. Here, one sec, guys. <laughs> okay, you missed that. You missed out the glossary on Viper Pilot. <laughs> oh, the glo- <laughs> Spoiler! Talk amongst yourselves. Is there any swearing going on? Do I have to edit that point while I was gone? This is what I do. Uh, a friend of mine, Paul Warboy, nice guy, uh, brought in a bunch more books here to, so I could decorate the studio. And these are the book jackets. Nice. I totally remove them. I go on the title of the book and start. I don't want to know anything about it. But I do keep these just in case. You know, if ever, ever I want to you know, put them back, they're collectible. I shrink wrap them and see, put them away. I'm the worst kind. I will actually look up a movie on Wikipedia before I go see it in the theater. I, I, I don't care. I re, I, you could tell me all the plot details and I'll still want to go see the movie. Yeah. It's very meta of you. so uh we're well past the hour mark gentlemen so what i'm going to do because i know some of you might have to go i know padre is packing up to get on a flight like soon so uh we'll take another really quick break and we will come back with overtime you're always so well lit padre (laughs) he is well that's that's i mean see no i don't see Oh, yeah, oh. yeah, that's <laughs> big lamp, big lighting umbrella. Yeah. To be fair, Sir Jimmy's been lit on a couple of episodes, too. But that's <laughs> really that's a different kind of lit, I think. <laughs> well, Padre, I know you got to go uh, catch your flight. So we'll, uh, we'll continue and do book news after this little break. We'll come back with overtime and do book news for all the folks at home. Thanks for joining us, Padre. All right. Have fun, guys. Have fun on your trip. Bon voyage. 
Hi, this is Colin Ferguson. I play Sheriff Jack Carter on Eureka, and you're listening to The Book Guys. Book Guys. Let's get right into book news. Ah, lots of book news, gentlemen. We'll rip right through it. Uh, first being, uh, we're talking about a lot of textbooks heading to the iPad and similar formats. A company called Udemy, uh, they, they do an online university-type courses, has released their first iPad app, and now they're now taking their 5,000-course online website and making it mobile. So you'll be able to download the app for free, and then you purchase each individual course. Some of the courses are free. So that's U-D-E-M-Y. Uh, there's a lot of different topics, how to promote your course, learn Python, everyday mind mastery. I mean, we got like it's the whole spectrum of education is here uh, f- from free to like a hundred dollars, $20, $10 different courses. Uh, really interesting multimedia things going on here with quizzes and whatnot. Uh, check it out. Udemy. So if you want to go business or finance, I'd go with professor Allen. There you go. That's right. Talk to the professor himself. <laughs> Professor's blog, the eyes and ears blog. Of course, you can link straight from bookguys.ca or check them out on the Twitter where you are. I believe professor Allen. That is correct. We got free hollow books, which is Sir Jimmy, and I am Paul the Book Guy. And moving on, gentlemen, uh, we got to play Taps again. Another major publication going all digital. The last ever edition of Macmillan's English Dictionary is being printed as we speak. Following the footsteps of Encyclopedia Britannica, they're going online. It'll be an online version. Uh, I don't have any news here of whether or not it's going to remain free. But, uh, yeah, nothing can, nothing's better for your business model than we're going from. You have to buy it to free. Oh, Funkin' Wagnalls, they're next. <laughs> next thing you know, they won't sell phonographs anymore. Uh, we'll some Amazon news, gentlemen. Amazon is now removing book reviews by fellow authors. Uh, they've had some issues before with people gaming the system where... Uh, Authors were actually, they called the sock puppet scandal. Authors were making false accounts and reviewing their own books. So now, the, one of the ways they're fixing that is what seems to be happening slowly over time is that authors are no longer being allowed to use their author accounts to review anything. And we had a lot of small publishers were doing it, like, taking like their 30 uh, talent, 30 authors, and having them all you know, give rave reviews for the other 29 books. And even just groups of authors, not on the same publisher, self-published guys are, you know, getting together in a bar. Let's all rave review our each other's books, you know, which uh, is kind of gaming the system. And I... A little, little incestuous. Yeah. You know, so the other, I can see why Amazon's doing I, this. Yeah, the other thing I heard, the uh, sort of the other side was either, as you said, getting all your buddies together to five-star each other's books or... To zero star your main competitor. Oh, and trash your evil. trash your main competitor. I heard. I heard that side was happening as well. Yeah, so I can see where you know what you're an author. You've got, we'll call it a product. You've got a book. You've got your work of art on, on the the store. You sh- maybe you shouldn't be able to, you know, review each other's stuff. It's a lot. lot it opens a lot of gaming. Just saying. Uh, new book coming out by Ron McLean and Don Cherry. Uh, talking about Hockey Night in Canada, 
trying to find the name of the book. It's called Hockey Night in Canada, 60 Seasons. Uh, for those of you Americanos in the room, may not have ever heard this song. <laughs> Professor Allen is yawning. <laughs> He's like our Madden, okay? Like uh, Don Cherry's the guy with the really weird suit, custom-made suits, and he wears the funky orange and you know pattern stuff. And he's really. I, I just <laughs> wish we had a little bit of hockey these days to talk about, actually. So uh, we're going to talk. They're going to talk about uh, Hockey Night Canada, sixty seasons uh, by Michael McKinley, and he covers the, from the beginnings of uh, the Hockey Night in Canada broadcast up till now. Of course, CBC, damn you for getting rid of the theme song. They didn't want to pay the lady who wrote the original theme song the money. So uh, the sports network here in Canada picked it up. <laughs> now, for their hockey broadcasts, it's the Hockey Night in Canada theme song. But uh, yeah, it could be interesting. I might check that one out only because it just has the Hockey Night in Canada logo on the front of the book. It does not have Paul Henderson holding a black and white penis. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing it right back to previous episodes, folks. You can say penis, right? It does. You don't have to. Sensor penis. I don't think so. Unless it's visual, obviously. Like you Paul can Henderson's penis book. If you like to. Uh, celebrity books, more of them. Britney Spears and talks to write a novel. Oh. <laughs> You're hurting me, Paul. You're hurting me. Oh, that's it. I'm not saying anything more. That's it. Us laughing and moaning. There you go. Next story. <laughs> We're going to move on to books on film. Television. Oh yeah! Hey, Jamie Fox has been lined up to play Electro in the Spider-Man sequel. Spider-Man, your webs are useless against me, for all the power of electricity is mine. Uh, he famously tweeted uh, last Thursday, dressed up as Electro for Halloween last night. Costume fits well. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Webb. Who's Webb? Hmm. Mark Webb. Okay. Mark Webb is the person running the show there for the the sequel. He says, uh, I think Jamie Foxx is electrifying. You'll be hearing more on that shortly. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much confirmed. He will be Electro. The guy, he basically, for those of you folks not familiar with the character of Electro, he shoots electricity from his fingertips. He controls electricity. And he wears a giant yellow marijuana leaf as his mask. <laughs> <laughs> and and did you just say that the guy in charge of the Spider-Man sequel is named Mark Webb? Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that, that can't be real, right? Harrison Ford. I got a bad feeling about this. Was very almost always famously known for not wanting to go to any of the Star Wars crap. Never showed up to any of the... He showed up to like one panel once in the whole time since he, he was Han Solo. Famously uh, said that Han Solo was probably the worst character he ever played. Boring, you know. Oh, you know what? Apparently he's interested in returning for Star Wars. It might have something to do with Disney's trillions of dollars. <laughs> he wants to be on the board. <laughs> Harrison is open to the idea of doing the movie and he's upbeat about it. All three of them are, said a highly placed source according to Entertainment Weekly. So, of course, like I said last week, Bark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, sitting by the phone. Please ring. Please ring. So right now, it does sound like Disney is going with a sequel route. 
30 years will have passed since the last three uh, Star Wars, the only three Star Wars films. <laughs> and uh, it looks like it may be a situation where they'll be passing the torch to new characters moving forward, much like uh, what J.J. Abrams did with Star Trek, much like uh, when they did the first, what was the first Next Generation movie where they had Spock, they dug Spock out of a something, <laughs> unfroze him or time-traveled him, whatever. <laughs> they always do those kind of things, but hopefully they don't do time travel. Uh, I'm going to put a, a clip, the clip of Carrie Fisher, I said, and we're running kind of late tonight, so uh, I'm going to put the clip of Carrie Fisher at the AFI at the end of the show, so you know, at least we'll get th- three more listens because the co-hosts will, you know, We'll download just to listen to it. <laughs> the, uh, early on in the, in the filming of uh, Jedi, Harrison Ford was pretty adamant that he thought that uh, he thought that Han should die in the third movie. That that was sort of the only that was the logical end for his character. And I think George figured you really can't sell as many action figures that way. So I, th- I think he, uh, as soon as he saw what happened, the the Star Wars Christmas special today. I'm going to be using the tenderest cut of the panther, the loin. The loin is very tasty and serves four nicely. Of course, if your family has a hearty appetite, I would suggest them that old popular holiday favorite, the panther rump. Look it up on YouTube, folks. (laughs) As soon as he was done with that, he must have just walked off the stage and said, I want Han Solo to die. (laughs) Look it up. A family of Wookiees, my friend. Not kidding. <laughs> Christmas Eve. It's awful. Happy Life Day, Paul. Happy Life Day. That's right. <laughs> terrible. Terrible. And before we go, of course, Professor Allen, we've got to talk about some... Comic books, comic books, comic books. Nice. Well, Love this, that jingle. ties into what we were talking about earlier, this, uh, you know... All these print uh, print things made a, moving online. We talked about Newsweek a couple weeks ago, going to an online only, and of course, print journalism has taken another big hit hit recently as Clark Kent has quit the Daily Planet. Oh, and potentially we think maybe to start sort of a Drudge Huffington sort of uh, sort of web uh, web portal for uh, uh, for uh, for his uh, new career. Now, do you think this is going to last? Because, like, I mean. There's nothing more iconic than when you're, you know, the director getting ready to do a Superman movie. The first thing you're thinking about is getting the art team on designing the Daily Planet. But I guess, you know, actually, I mean, it's a fun, you know, funny you mentioned the the movies, Paul, because you know uh, Clark actually left the Daily Planet in the early 1970s in the comic books, along with he and you know he and Lois and Lana and the, the whole crew went to went to TV. They were the they were the uh, the met, uh, metropolis, uh, you know, news anchor team on TV, and and what actually brought Clark and his crew back to the Daily Planet was that first Christopher Reeves movie. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Where in the movie he had to be at the Daily Planet, so they said, well, you know, if people go to the comic book after seeing the movie, what's he doing at a TV station? We have to put him back in the comic book, and now twenty five or so years later, they're trying to get him out of the newspaper business again. You know, I guess they have to move on with the times to keep the character relevant and moving forward, much like the, you know, he can't change in a phone booth anymore. I mean, there's been a lot of shows that, uh, you know, a lot of jokes in the comic books and in, in recent movies where, you know, he's looking for a place to change and 
the only like phone booth that was around is one of those wall mounted units they still have here and there, but nobody has a phone booth anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's, it'd be like you know having a police box you know, in the middle of <laughs> exactly. London in 2012, right? What is that? But yeah, I guess with uh, newspapers uh, sort of fading away, the the typical newspaper room, you know, the the bullpen, it's just not happening. They're all looking at each other, saying, "Who's going to get laid off next? Please don't lay me <laughs> off. Please don't lay me off." Because they're putting up paywalls. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, any other comic book news happening, gentlemen? Other than uh, Electro, I don't think that. I think that's about it. That's what's going on. So, Jimmy, you still with us? I'm still with you, but when it comes to comic books, I leave that to the professor. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that and finance and business. <laughs> So that's about it for overtime, gentlemen, I think. It's been a lot of fun, guys. It has been fun. Yeah. We'll be back next week again with the Padre, the Professor, the Sir Jimmy. Join us, bookguys.ca. You'll find all our information there. All our stories we post. Professor Allen puts up great reviews all the time. I used to do it all the time, but I've been slacking. i got to write Allen's- a couple soon. Alan's eyes and ears. Freehollowbooks.com. Bookguys.ca. See you next week, folks. Same book time, same book channel. Scott Brick, take it away. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Paul the Book Guy will be back next week. Same book time, same book channel. Stay tuned, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, Carrie Fisher. It's funny. Four minutes. Here we go. Hi, I'm Mrs. Han Solo, and I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic because George Lucas ruined my life. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. Fifty-seven years ago, I did his little Star Wars film, a cult film that then went on to redefine what they laughingly refer to as the face of cinema. And now, 65 years later, people are still asking me if I knew it was going to be that big of a hit. Yes, I knew. We all knew. The only one who didn't know was George. We kept it from him because we wanted to see what his face looked like when it changed expression. George is a sadist. But like any abused child wearing a metal bikini changed to a giant slug about to die, I keep coming back for more. Only a man like George could bring us whole new worlds populated by vivid, extraordinary characters and providing Mark and Harrison and myself with enough fan mail and even a small, merry band of stalkers. (laughs) It's lovely. Keeping us entertained for the rest of our unnatural lives. George... The fact that you made me into a little doll that my first husband could stick pins into 
a shampoo bottle where people could twist my head off and pour liquid out of my neck, lather up with Leia, and you'll feel like a princess yourself. And yes, the little Pez dispenser so that my daughter Billy could pull my head back and pull a wafer out of my neck every time she doesn't want to do her homework. I suppose I don't mind. And though amongst your many possessions you have owned my likeness, lo, all these years, so that every time I look in the mirror I have to send you a check for a couple of bucks. <laughs> Not to mention, you had the unmitigated gall to let that chick, the new girl who plays my mother, Queen Amadillo, or whatever her name is, she wears a new hairstyle and outfit practically every time she walks through a door. I mean, I bet she even got to wear a bra. Even though you told me I couldn't because there was no underwear in space. I'm only slightly bitter because you, my formerly silent friend, are an extraordinary talent and, let's face it, an artist the like of which is seen perhaps once in a generation who helps define that generation and who deserves every award I now spend the latter half of my Leia-laden life helping to hurl your way. And in conclusion, Your Honor, I hope I slept with you to get the job because if not, who the hell was that guy?